This is In the Word with Malcolm Weber. This is part of our purpose as an older generation to see ourselves as tools of preparation for the next generation, to pour into them what God has given us so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. The, the things that we have learned many times at great personal cost, the balance that God has brought us into many times through much suffering and hardship, and yet we can pass these truths, these spiritual realities along. Welcome to In the Word with Malcolm Weber. In His great love for us, God doesn't just open up His purposes to us in His Word, but also through many other avenues. Today, Dr. Weber explains how our life experiences have a way of directing us to His purposes in the final part of his message, Understanding Our Life's Experiences. Then there was a brother by the name of Graham Powell. We're in the area of power here, the themes of our lives. Graham Powell was a man who the Lord used. He was from New Zealand, then he went to Australia, and he uh, was greatly used in the area of deliverance, deliverance from demons. And this was back in the late 70s, right at the turn of the decade there, when, of course, there was a big move of deliverance across uh, the charismatic church, Derek Prince and some others. The Lord used him in really a powerful way in restoring the truth. And of course, there was just a little bit of excess. You know, those of you that were around back then, I don't know if you remember that, there was just a smidge of excess, you know, on the whole deliverance thing. I mean, it got to the point where you wouldn't come to a meeting unless you brought your own paper bag, you know. <laughs> Maybe not for you, but at least for the person next to you, so it wouldn't all end up on you. Serious times back then. <laughs> and, and anyway, God had shown Graham a lot of things about deliverance. Of course, he wrote the book that I recommend that many of you read called Christian Set Yourself Free. That's why I recommend the book, because I know the man that wrote it. I know what he went through. He has a real ministry there. So Graham, uh, the Lord used him a lot in deliverance. We would have these mass deliverance sessions. If you've never been in a mass deliverance session, you have never lived. I'll tell you. <laughs> Isn't that right, bro? Come on. You have never lived. It's an experience that you need to have at least once. But Graham would also pray for people individually. And I hadn't been saved for long. And I had more demons than you've ever seen in your life were in me. It is all converged, I think. <laughs> and I needed a lot of help after I first got saved. And so they suggested that I go to Graham for deliverance. And so I did. So I made an appointment and got together with him and had a session and kind of counseled me a little bit, taught me a little bit and prayed for me. And he only prayed for me once. And this is one thing that I learned from Graham that really affected me in these lines. And that was that his burden was to teach people how to pray for themselves. His burden was to teach people how to be able to fight for themselves, to not be eternally dependent upon someone else. You know, oh, please pray for me. The devil's after me again, you know. And he only prayed for me once. And my guess is I was the most demonized person he'd ever laid his eyes upon. I probably wasn't, but then again, I might have been. So I was a mess. And I had profound demonization, okay? I did major oppression. And uh, he prayed for me once. And he told me specifically his purpose in praying for people was twofold. Number one, it was to dislodge some of the biggies, okay? <laughs> Which I had more than one of. It was to dislodge some of the biggies to give you some help, dislodging. But then secondly, it was to teach you how to pray for yourself. 
actually it would have time of instruction, and then by modeling it. Here's how you do it. You know, here's how you command the devil. Here's how you hold fast and you speak by faith that God has set you free and you use your faith and you praise God and all the various weapons uh, against the enemy to be free. And again, that touched my life because we were in a time then, we saw a lot of people get saved, come out of the occult and drugs and heavy duty stuff, bad, bad stuff. So we were praying for people for deliverance all the time. And so I'd start to do the same thing with them. Okay, we're going to spend an hour or two with you. We're doing it for two reasons. Number one is to dislodge some of the biggies. Number two, it's to teach you how to do it yourself. And that's always been my emphasis ever since. It's not so that you'll look at me. Oh, we've got a problem. We've got to go to Malcolm. We've got to go to someone else. No, God has given you authority. And our role is to encourage you in that and not to make you dependent upon us but to encourage you that you can pray for yourself, that you can blast the enemy, and you can pray for other people to be set free in the name of Jesus. All right. But I've noticed that so many churches and ministries kind of keep the people dependent upon them. Keep the people dependent upon them, always having to go back. It's almost like this priestly thing that the priest has something that we don't and, and he's maybe closer to God. It's not the case at all. We're all priests under God. We all have authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that includes the women as well. Can you say amen? In fact, that includes the children as well. And we should be teaching our children that. They don't have to come to us every time they have a need, but they should be able to pray and believe God for themselves. And now certainly I would never turn away someone that came for prayer. I'm not suggesting that, that we start looking down on people and insulting people. Oh, don't you have any faith? Or Not at all. Uh, we should never turn down anybody that comes to prayer, but we should always, at the same time as giving the prayer, say, now watch me, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. And next time, you can do it yourself. Isn't that great? You can do it yourself. And if they come back, you know, pray for them again, but tell them again, you can do it for yourself. Amen. Those are in the areas of power as far as a theme, as far as my personal models and mentors in my life. And then in the area of purity, firstly, purity of doctrine. After I got saved, I began to go to a spirit-filled church in Brisbane. It's quite a big church, and the pastor's name was Trevor Chandler. And he was an old man of God, an old apostolic figure in Australia. And the poor man had the misfortune of being my first pastor. When I was back in Australia this year... I went to Trevor, and he's an old man. I think he's um, 70s or 80s. But that's okay. With the age comes the wisdom, right? Okay, so that's something that we can comfort ourselves in. I went to Trevor, went in and met him. And you know what I did? He remembered me. Boy, did he remember me. I hadn't seen him for almost 20 years now. And <laughs> he remembered me. <laughs> Oh, my. And I, I apologized to him. I said, look, you know, you remember back when and all this and all that? And I said, man, I'm sorry. I, you know, I really gave you a lot of trade. He just laughed. He said, that's okay. He said, something effective. You weren't the only one, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> but I have noticed, I have noticed that God has a sense of humor. When, when I was... <laughs> I was this young man that was on fire with considerably more passion than wisdom and gave many leaders a real hard time. And I've noticed that God kind of has a way of getting you back, you know. <laughs> he sort of sends you, you know, some young men <laughs> who kind of do the same sorts of things that you did, you know, 
to your pastor back then. So that's okay. I've learned that. So I just say, well, Lord, thanks. You know, that's okay. So I went to Trevor and I apologize. He established many, many churches in Australia and New Zealand and, and really does have a apostolic kind of calling on his life. One day I was seeking God for my purpose and my calling. God, I want to do something for you. Just like I'm sure you have many times. And God, come on, I want to serve you. I want to do something. Where will it be, Lord? Oh, there's one time, <laughs> I'll tell you a story here. There's one time this man came from Africa and spoke in one of the churches. They were seeing a great revival in Africa. His name was Gerald Rowland, supernatural revival back in the 70s, incredible stuff. Anyway, God was now leading him to go to China. This was back in 1980, okay? And he shared about China and the things that God was doing in China. And it so touched me that I was ready to go to China. At the end of it, he had an altar call, inviting those who would commit their lives to the mission field to what God was doing in other countries. And I was so moved and so touched that I sat in my seat just sort of wrestling with this because I thought that he was really actually asking people to go, okay? I was young. I didn't realize we just have altar calls for higher commitment and all of that. Sometimes we have altar calls for no good reason at all. But anyway, I mean, with nothing specific, I thought he was really actually asking, you know, who will go? And so I wrestled with this and finally, yes, I'll do it. I'll go. And so I went down the front. I literally thought as I stood the line, there were about, I don't know, 10, 20 people down the front there. And I literally thought that at the end of that meeting, they would file us out into a back room. They'd give us our instructions and we'd be leaving the next day or the next week at the latest. We'd be on the plane heading to China. And so I just kind of waited there, waiting for them to lead us off into the back room and tell us about what our flight arrangements would be. And I didn't know who was going to pay for it. I just figured they would, I suppose. But <laughs> I sure wasn't able to. But uh, so, so I was kind of waiting here. And, and then the altar call came to an end. The meeting came to an end. And everybody just sort of flitted off. And I'm standing down there at the altar. And looking and waiting for someone to come and tell me when we're leaving. I'm serious. This literally happened. I literally did this. I gave my life to go to China. You know, I did. I'd made the decision. And after all, everybody was just sort of gone. And, and this man, Gerald, was still there and talking to people. And so I went up to him and said, what next? What now? I've come forward. I want to commit my life to the mission field on China. Be a part of the great things that you're saying is you know, happening over there. You know, the great revivals and all this. And he kind of looked at me and then he sort of laughed. He didn't laugh at me, he was sort of laughing with me, you know. Really a great man, a great man of God. He kind of laughed and he joked with me and he said, well, you know, I suppose you could get a briefcase and load it up with Bibles and head on over. He sort of laughed. <clears throat> oh, <laughs> I realized he wasn't serious. So I just went home and just a bit puzzled by it all. <laughs> but that was my heart. That was my heart back then. I wanted to do something for God. Still is my heart. I want to do something for God just as passionately, but now I think I've got a little more direction. <laughs> just a, not much more wisdom, but just a little bit more, <laughs> hopefully. So I was crying out to God at this time in my life and saying, God, give me something to do. Give me something to do for you. And Lord, what's your purpose? What's my calling? What have you called me to do? What have you given me to do? Tell me. I mean, it was a great agony. I'm sure many of you have experienced that agony of wanting to serve God, but not having a clear path to walk on, but wanting to do it so intensely. During this time in my life, we were in a meeting one night 
The Spirit began to move and Trevor began to walk amongst the people there and lay hands on people and he was prophesying to people and praying over people and this was before he knew me, okay? Or else he might have prayed something different. (laughs) But he came to me and he began to prophesy and he really didn't know me at all. He began to prophesy to me. One of the things that he said was that you have been really tossed to and fro, really unstable and all over the place in your life. But he said, right now, God is setting you on something to the effect of a real firm direction, firm footing, a real solid path. He didn't say what it was, but he said that that's what's happening. Oh, great. You know, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Lord, just tell me, am I an apostle or a prophet kind of thing? That's sort of what you want. You know? <laughs> and he says, well, I want you to clean the bathrooms. Oh, <laughs> he prophesied that to me and, and prayed it over me and, and then moved on. I went home that night no clearer than I had been, but I woke up the next morning. And when I woke up, I knew that God had called me to be a teacher of his word. I knew that. No way of knowing. I just knew that in my heart. Absolutely 100% certainty of knowledge. I knew that the ministry gift of teacher was upon my life and would be the most significant thing that I would do for some time coming. I had no natural inclination toward it. I mean, it's not like I was a school teacher or something. God gave that to me. That morning, I went into the church to see them because I wanted to sign up to be a teacher. I want to start teaching because that's what God has called me to do. I mean, if that's what he's called you to do, let's go do it, right? You know. <laughs> of course, the fact that I didn't know anything to teach didn't bother me. You know, <laughs> but I knew that God had called me to that. They, of course, had the wisdom to not let me do anything uh, <laughs> at that point. But God gave me a great hunger for his word. And I began to get into the word and I was, had this great passion for the word of God, spending time and hours and hours in the scriptures. I developed a little system and I would try to spend at least six hours a day in the word. And that would be an hour and a half in the Old Testament narratives and all of those books, an hour and a half in the prophets, an hour and a half in the Gospels and Acts, and an hour and a half in the epistles, okay? And so I'd spend at least six hours a day in the scriptures, not reading books about, I'd do that as well, or tapes or whatever, teaching stuff, but just actually in the book itself. My philosophy has always been, if you're reading books and listening to tapes, try to spend at least as much time in this book as you do in the other books about the book. And it's good to read other books about the book. That's okay. But this is really where the purity and the life and the power is in the reality. And so I had a great hunger for the word and a great desire for purity of doctrine. We're talking about purity here. I began to wrestle with doctrinal things. And in the circles in which I ran, there was a real emphasis upon the whole spiritual death thing. You know, that Jesus died spiritually when he was on the cross. That he was made sinful and was separated from his father and went to hell and suffered in hell. They seemed to be able to quote some scriptures. Now I know they were misquoting them, but they seemed to be able to quote some scriptures to support it. But yet in my heart, it just didn't ring true. And I began to seek the Lord and study his word. And of course, other books about the word and so forth. And Over a period of time, the Lord showed me the error of that particular doctrine. And the primary way that he showed it was this, that as I was studying the scripture, just reading the New Testament, just studying, I mean, hours every day, okay, in the book, all of a sudden it clicked with me one day 
And I understood that when the Scriptures talk about Jesus' death on the cross, it always refers to His blood. And that dawned on me. And that was when the light began to come on. That there's no mention of this spiritual death thing. It's always His blood. It's the death of His body over and over again. And I believe over 70 times in the New Testament alone, it's stated, specifically stated, that we are redeemed by Jesus' physical death, by His blood, physical death, the death of His body, nothing else. Okay, that's just what it says. God just infused my life with a passion for the atonement. And I spent a couple of years seeking God for understanding on the atonement, reading and studying everything that I could find about the atonement, in the word about the atonement, crying out to God that he would give me understanding of the atonement. I would keep very late hours those days. One morning at three o'clock in the morning, I was still studying, three in the morning, I was studying the scriptures, crying out to God and God spoke to me inwardly and gave me a key to the understanding of the scripture. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was one I just couldn't figure that out, even though a lot of the other began to come clear and make sense. I couldn't figure that out. What does that mean? It just seemed to depict the father casting his son out of his presence as an unclean thing because he's been made sin and God can't look on sin and all of that business. And God spoke to me inwardly, not outwardly, but inwardly spoke to me and he gave me the key for understanding that scripture. Over that period of time, I wrote a book called The Precious Blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I rewrote a few years ago, and that's called The Blood of God, and it's right over there in the bookstore. And that book contains several years of my life of not just His blood, but my blood, you know. (laughs) His blood's more important. You know, crying out to God for truth, for purity of doctrine in this regard. And out of that, I wrote that book. And you know, the wild thing is, now my children... I think back on the travail and the pain and the the labor to come to a point of simplicity and I believe purity of doctrine concerning the atonement. And now I've got a book and I can just hand that to my children, you know, and say, here, read this. This is the truth, largely. I'm not saying it's infallible at every point. There are probably some little errors. It's probably off here and there, but largely it's correct doctrine. It is. And now we can do that with our children. The things that we have battled for and labored for, the things that to us were so hard, trying to work through and find understanding and on not just doctrinal areas, but all kinds of areas. And now we can just give to the next generation the fruits of our labors. Isn't that something? And they don't have to battle for it. They don't have to fight for it. We just hand it to them on a platter. Here it is. Believe this and they believe that and that's it. Wow, you know, think, oh, it's years of my life, you know, just give it to you and you've got it. Wow, (laughs) well, that's okay. They'll have their things that they need to battle through. And this is part of our purpose as an older generation to see ourselves as tools of preparation for the next generation, to pour into them what God has given us so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. That the things that we have learned many times at great personal cost. The balance that God has brought us into many times through much suffering and hardship. And yet we can pass these truths, these 
spiritual realities along. It's like a certain image in a book I read years ago talking about how the, the church in a corporate solidarity over the centuries is sort of climbing this mountain towards maturity and the fullness of the image of Jesus. And as we go up, we've got this flag and the great men and women of past generations have struggled and fought and battled and they've planted that flag. And then we come up on their shoulders and we take that flag that they've planted and we plant that a little bit higher. And then our children, the next generation, will come up and they'll be benefited if we will form the right relationships and the mentoring and all of that, right? And work with them and help them and pour our lives into them. Then they'll take the flag that we've planted and they'll pull it out and they'll plant it a little bit higher again. Hallelujah. And so each generation is building up upon the shoulders of the prior generation. Years ago, a few decades ago, there was a great debate in the evangelical church. Many of you probably don't even know this. It was over the inerrancy of the Scripture, okay? The fact that the Scriptures are inerrant. I can't even spell inerrancy, let alone tell you what the major issues were, unless I went and read about it, and then I could. That's not blood and gut stuff to me, but it was to them. And they fought these battles, Some old scholars that I've had the privilege of meeting were some of the ones who were right at the forefront of that great battle in the evangelical church decades ago over the inerrancy of Scripture, the fact that it's without error. See, we take that for granted. To us, that's a given. We just believe that. We know that's true. We don't have to go through all the arguments and all of the explanation. You know, that's a battle that was fought decades ago by the great men of God that laid down their lives and their reputations and their careers many times on the line over that because they knew it was true. They knew it was truth. And so they planted that flag up high. And then we come along and we build on that. See, it's the same for us. It's the same for you, parents. God has done things in your lives, things that are real. And you need to be passing those things on so that your children don't have to go through the same stuff that you do. Now, they will go through their own sufferings, their own turmoils, their own conflicts, their own tensions. They will go through all of that, but they don't have to wrestle with exactly the same things that you've had to wrestle with. You can give them understanding. You can give them maturity. You can give them a balance in many areas of life. Do that to your children. Do that to the next generation. Do that to the young men and women that God is giving us as a church. Pour your life into them. God's given you many, many great, profound things, things that are real, things that you have now at great personal expense. Don't just live and die and not pass that along to somebody else. Pass it on to the next generation. That's a part of the purpose of your life. That's a part of your meaning. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's stop there. Will you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for the way that you have worked in all of our lives and all of our hearts. And Father, we ask that you would use us as instruments in your hands. Lord, that you would give us favour in the eyes of the younger generation, that they would see us, Lord, as those who do have something to give them. And Lord, let us not major on dumb stuff or just fuddy-duddy stuff that makes us so irrelevant to them, Lord. But let us be able to develop relationships with mutual respect. And Lord, give us relationships whereby we can impart some of what you've given us, some of the victories 
in the battles that we have fought in our lives, that we can pass those victories on to the next generation. And Father, help us to form mentoring and discipling relationships with one another, Lord Jesus, that our lives are able to touch other people's lives. And Lord, deliver us from that false humility and from that whinging, whining thing that says, well, I've got nothing to give anybody else. Oh Lord, don't let us think such a nonsensical, self-piteous thing as that, but let us be delivered from that and let us boldly stand in what you truly have worked in our lives and let us see that as precious, Lord, and as something that can be passed with great benefit onto the next generation. Father, make us, Lord, not just a church of old people or a church of young people, but make us, Lord, a church that reaches across all of the generations as well as all of the cultures. But Lord, all of the generations in this area that were able to minister to each other and lead your people on into the fullest expression of the maturity and of your purposes for all of our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for In the Word with Malcolm Weber, a weekly podcast featuring selected teachings from Dr. Weber's over 40 years of ministry. Find more teachings along with books, courses, tools, and other resources from Dr. Weber at www.leadersource.org. Tune in next week for a new series, Unpacking First Peter, focused on encouragement to suffering saints.